Good afternoon, Stu. Good afternoon, Des. How do? I'm okay, man. That's good. Pretty excited about today's uh, today's interview and podcast for sure. Yeah, man. I think this will be a uh, an entertaining one for sure. For sure. What have you been up to? Well, look, um, the snow's fallen. Been up at Big White a number of times. It's um, lovely. Mm-hmm. They got a dump of snow, so they opened a week early, and uh, I heard that. I think Michael and his team up there have been doing an amazing job. So skiing's been good. Brandman's been joining me, so. Um, you know, he's, he's getting to be a little expert. We've got him moving from Green Circle to, to Blue Square. So all's good, man. How about you? What's shaking? Well, uh, you know, I've, uh, same, kicking around. The, the business is real busy at the moment. So I've been uh, dealing with uh, all sorts of uh, traffic and, uh, you know, the good mayhem. Well, that's good. Busy's better. Right? Yeah. So, uh, folks, this is, uh, this is episode five of The Pragmatics. So we're really glad you're going to join us here at the Crystal Gondola, high above the Wilden Range. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to, to episode five. Um, and I know you said we got a, we got a guest. I know you're going to introduce him in a, in, a, in a little bit, but you know how I like to talk about the Oilers and uh, hockey before we, before we uh, kick off. So... You know, big night last night. You probably watched the game. I did. 8-2. Mm-hmm. Kind of like old school Oilers, man. Yeah. Would you, were, were you happy with that? I was. It was like playing the blind school. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, somebody, some people will say, wow, you know, it was Arizona. But, uh, you know, I mean. Hey, they're all good clubs, bud. They are. They are. The fellas can move that puck around uh, Dreisaitl and, uh, and McDavid, huh? Oh, my God. And then the Nuge. Anyway. Yeah, the Nuge had a big night. Anyway, it was good to see. Um, sadly, the Flames won uh, last night, too. So our guest might be a, a Flames fan. So maybe might I, should, be, yeah, we'll, I we'll, should be more, cur- we'll more courteous. Um, but hey, buddy, you know what? I was reading in the news before we get to our guest. I, 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 every time I, I read or see COVID-19-related uh, news, I, I, of course, think of you. So um, Yesterday, the the auditor the auditor general's uh, report came out as it relates to um, you know the government's you know, interaction and impact as it relates to the management of COVID nineteen. And I thought you'd love these numbers. Um, so first of all, I, and I loved Omar Sachedina. I just I happen to be on CTV. I don't love Omar Sachedina. That came out wrong. What I love is is how he how he phrases things. So he said. Uh, the government succeeded in paying out $210 billion in COVID-19 related benefits. So good for you. Congratulations, Canadian government. But of that, $4.6 billion uh, was in overpayments to those ineligible for benefits. Uh, another $27.4 billion was in suspicious payments. Only $27 billion, Des. Um, and the government has only received uh, $2.4 billion back. Uh, in their uh, in their quest to to recover these funds, um, which was in- interesting that our uh, federal minister of employment, uh, the lovely uh, Carla uh, Qualtro, said, "Well, it's not for lack of trying; it's just we're being more compassionate in our approach." So I hope they're being compassionate in their approach when I file my taxes for you know 2022. My God, yes, you know, there's just nothing. Uh, there's 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 no offside too big for these folks is it you know they just no. they just run right over it and and keep walking and and the press just allows it to happen yeah man that was a very short story and we'll probably won't hear much about it uh you know from that point yeah i mean just not long ago uh probably the last 10 14 days there was uh 
you know, uh, probably two hours in one day where they, they mentioned that uh, CSIS had in, informed uh, uh, that uh, there was 11 uh, MPs and senators identified that actually took payments from the Chinese government. And why aren't we still talking about that today? I, it was maybe for a couple hours one day, and nobody's covering it. Well, I, I think Justin said um, briefly that he looked into it and everything looked fine. So, you know, given his, you know, forensic rigor on these kinds of things, I think Canadians are, are you know, we're okay with it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Plus him and his dad were, you know, they're, they're good pals with the uh, Chinese government's current and, and previous. So I will it's say actually all the same government now that I think about it. Yes. Yeah. I will say the the mainstream media sure sure is guilty of cultivate, cultivating mushrooms though, eh? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Canadian will. mushrooms. Canadian mushrooms, of course. Stinky mushrooms. Um, are there any other kind? <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, is this the time to uh, bring yeah. on our guest? Yeah, yeah I think you know, it I is. Think, I think based on the last episode and the fact that uh, you know our listeners like to hear our guests more than more than you and I, I think it's a perfect time. <laughs> Yeah, and we did we did have a nice uh, episode uh, last uh, last time. Yeah, Doctor Patton was great. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, you know when we come to think of it here, before I jump into this, is uh, uh, we talked. It was right before uh, the kickoff to the World Cup, and we were talking a little bit about the World Cup. And you said to me, uh, and and I kind of looked at you with glazed over eyes, and we were talking about the last time Canada was in in the World Cup, and that was of course nineteen eighty four. And did I say 86? No. Oh. No. Um, was it four? Yeah. Four or six. Now you got me confused. Back in, back in the 80s, it was either 84 or 86. Well, what's 22 minus 36? Yeah. Then we'll get the exact year. Exactly. <laughs> so where, where, where you, you mentioned, you said, do you remember being at Clark, or uh, sorry, uh, uh, Commonwealth, Commonwealth Stadium, Stadium. Uh, when Canada was in, you know, fighting for uh, uh, qualification and we, we were playing Australia. Right. And, you know, I looked at it and I said, well, I, I was there, but that wasn't for qualification for back in the 80s. That was actually 1994. Because we said, uh, it just seemed like yesterday. But that was the 94 qualifications that, uh, that we, and it was a two-game aggregate uh, uh, series. And f- first game, game one was played in, in Commonwealth Stadium. Canada won that game. But went went to Australia and then they lost uh, in an aggregate and uh, they were not qualified for uh, oh. uh, ninety four. Oh, well, eighty six was the uh, because uh, ninety four. Yep, ninety eighty six. Okay, there's, there's your four year. Well, well, uh, first of all, I want to I want to thank you for for you know correcting me and clarifying that. Secondly, I'm going to make a note to fire our researcher. Um, no, I bring it up because uh, I was looking at you going, yeah, that wasn't that long ago, but uh, it just didn't feel like it was the mid-80s when we when we went to that game. Yeah. Because we had shorter hair in the 90s. Uh, well, right? shorter or more in my case. Yeah. A little of both. Um, but again, <laughs> um, the fact-checking team here at the Pragmatics is... Uh, low quality. Well, they are low quality, let's be, let's be candid, but... Um, you know, in January, they're going to be looking for new gigs. We, did, we here at the Pragmatics don't fire people in December. No, no. So, but, <laughs> I mean, they're on notice, clearly. They are now. Anyway, this is a great time to uh, bring on our guest. Uh, 
David Yeager is an oil and service ex executive, entrepreneur, and longtime oil writer. He's worked in the oil industry since 1970 and from 87 to 2018 was founder, senior officer, and director of several TSX-listed oil service companies. From 2012 to 16, he served as the national leader oil field services for MNP LLP, a Canadian tax, accounting, and consulting provider. He is currently president and CEO of Winterhawk Well Abandonment, which is a commercialize, or is commercializing a wellbore methane emission technology. Through Jaeger Management Limited, he provides executive consulting, communications, and policy analysis to companies, boards, industry associations, and other organizations. He was chairman of Petroleum Service Association of Canada in 2009 and 2010. David Jaeger has been active in business journal journalism and energy policy analysis since 1979. He is a keynote speaker and regular commentator on the oil industry and energy policy in multiple media outlets. His book, From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story, was released in 2019. David, nice to have you on The Pragmatics. Well, thank you very much. Well, you know, we wanted to get you on, uh, you know, The Pragmatics. We're here to uh, bring up uh, what we think is is. Uh, subject matter that uh, that many people need to hear more of. It's important subject matter, and what is more important than the energy uh, sector, uh, the energy needs of the world, and the systems that are in place to provide that. And we are interested in uh, touching on some of these uh, some of these subjects. My favorite subject. I'm. Uh... <laughs> That's all I've been doing all my life. Dad was born into the patch. I was raised into it. So what can I, what do you want to know? Well, I, I want to, you know, I want to set right off. Uh, first item that I want to address is, address is, can we entirely eliminate hydrocarbons? <laughs> yeah. Rumors of our demise are greatly appreciated. I think that uh, Jeff Curry, I think he's the Goldman Sachs analyst. He is. A chart here just the other day. Where this century, after the investment of $3.7 trillion, and uh, we entered this century with uh, fossil fuels providing 82% of our primary energy needs, and uh, 20 years and 3.7 US trillion later, it was down to 81. So, <laughs> any idea this is this energy transition? You know, don't buy any green bananas. You know, this can we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna take a long it's gonna take a long time. It, it's uh, it is actually just, it's, you know, it's really amazing. Uh, the reason I wrote a book about the title I picked from a miracle to menace, Alberta carbon story is, is in my lifetime, uh, oil went from a miracle, you know, the fossil fuels, the, the, the transportation fuel of the, of the modern era uh, to menace where instead of uh, saving the world, we're destroying it. And I, the reason I call it Alberta carbon story uh, because the only reason 4.4 million people live in this otherwise isolated portion of North America is because of world-class resources of coal, oil, and natural gas. If you look around the neighborhood, there's nobody in the neighborhood. Who lives to the north? Nobody. Uh, no large populations east all the way to Toronto or the Golden Horseshoe. There's certainly no large concentrations of people to the west till you get to the lower mainland of B.C., and in the south, the borders that the states we share the border with are the most underpopulated, underdeveloped, underdeveloped states in North America, uh, in the United States. And so why do 4.4 million live here? And there's one reason. It's fossil fuels. 
enormous quantities of fossil fuels in uh, in one of the largest fossil fuel markets in the world. And so that's kind of where why we are, who we are, why we do what we do. And so uh, we get all this advice about what we should do. You you know all about this. You know, why don't you go into renewables? Well, everybody has electricity last time I checked. You know, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? So I, I figure that the fact is, is we do what we do. We're in the fossil fuel business. I'm certainly not ashamed of it. Neither you know what he should be. And um, if you know why 4.4 million people live here, if you know why you can't live without fossil fuels and you still want to wipe us out, well, then you're a knowledgeable voter. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. But until you know that, go learn and then come back and let's have another conversation. Well, let's touch on that. I mean, hydrocarbons are essential to so much of our modern society. Tell us how far reaching hydrocarbons or petroleum products are in our world today. The, uh, the fancy of the four cylinder word, as we used to say on the oil rigs is ubiquitous. It's everywhere and you don't really know. And I think one of the most, uh, one of the most unrecognized uh, uh, changes in the world is the urbanization of Canada that's taken place over the last half century, where 80% of the population lives in our, our large urban centers is really new. And they get all their information off smartphones, which is all really new. You got a whole bunch of people uh, that don't understand where things come from, if you will. We used to be a resource producing country where half the people lived in rural Canada, growing something, chopping something down or digging something up, uh, whether it was minerals. And that's really why why we're successful in this isolated. Nobody lives in Canada because of the weather. You know, we're resource rich and um, opportunity rich. So, so when you get a, a generation of people that's grown up with, uh, you were talking about the, in your preamble, you were talking about the media and the shortcomings in the media. Well, there really is no media like we grew up on. Everything comes on the smartphone and you get to stream the information you want to hear. So you get to live in this world where you just, just know what you want. And then when it comes to this essentials of life, uh, nobody knows where they come from. You know, meat comes from the corner grocery store wrapped in plastic. You know, the, the connection between cows and what's on your plate is not intuitive to a lot of people. Gasoline comes from a gas pump. Electricity comes from the switch on the wall. And so there's no idea. So when people say, well, we, you know, you should live without fossil fuels. Well, nobody knows what that means. You know, you didn't say live without gasoline. You said right. live without fossil fuels, you know. And the same thing was you should live without coal. They didn't say you should live without electricity. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, natural gas. And, and, and so anyway, there, there's this incredible void uh, in, in people's understanding of where the necessities of life come from. People don't know that plastic comes from. I, mean, I don't know what you, I remember in grade school, uh, they used to teach us about this. I can remember going to elementary school and junior high in Alberta. And we got little pictures of a pump jack and a salt dome and an oil cavity and a drilling rig and all the anything to do with related with resources and development has been pushed out of the curriculum. You know, this is just a narrow interest group, the economy or business. And so we've, uh, it's, it's an astonishing circumstance, set of circumstances, but fossil fuels are in everywhere and everything. I mean, for example, uh, half the world is fed on nitrogen-based fertilizers that are derived from uh, originally from coal and now natural gas. And everybody says, well, we got to get rid of coal and natural gas. Nobody says you got to get rid of food. 
<laughs> but then, you know, the, the fossil fuels and food are intrinsically related through fertilizers, through diesel, diesel uh, cultivation and harvesting equipment, refrigerations and long distance transportation. Nobody seems to know that. And mm -hmm. so the people that the people that are, are messaging the political, the people with an agenda, whether it's a political party or some climate activist, they go push the hot buttons of fear and they ignore the facts. So we've got ourselves into quite a pickle here this century, uh, mm -hmm. basically from not, I, I, I was at a presentation uh, back in uh, 2013 by a pollster. And we were talking about the millennials and, you know, that, that, that the young people didn't read. And they read more than ever. I mean, if you've got kids, get them off their phones. The trouble is not that they read, it's what they read. So it's never been a generation uh, that has been, uh, been, been, been digested so much information uh, with, with so, so information free about how the world actually functions. It's right. astonishing. David, um, first of all, th thanks so much for joining us and being on the pragmatics. We're, yeah, no sweat. we're really privileged to, to have you on uh, today's podcast. One of the things you're, you're quoted as saying, and I know we're kind of on that thread right now is we, we live in a completely fact-free world. Um, and that, you know, again, the thread that we're on, it's, it's certainly concerning. One of the things that Des and I are trying to do is in, inform and educate people. But I'm, I'm increasingly frustrated at the fact that, you know, people don't search out these facts. And when they're forced to, uh, you, you know, digest them because they're presented by, you know, qualified, educated and intellectual people like yourself, they still find reasons to dismiss them or, you know, absolutely set them aside. And you also talk about the fact that, you know, Canada makes up what, uh, uh, you know, half a percent of the total world's population. And, and if we stopped, you know, uh, producing, uh, you know, today, it wouldn't change anything. Um, so I guess yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of heading to a, to a question here, which is, you know, in all your efforts, you know, have you been able to to educate people to the point where they are no longer um, naive and and hopefully maybe even righteous about about Canada's role here? I would not going to say that I have moved the needle on on education. Um, what one of the phenomena that's happened is uh, one of the books I read when. Uh, when I was uh, years ago, I bought it in 2003. It's called The Progress Paradox by Greg Estabrooks. Mm -hmm. And it was a great book. He wanted to know why when, when the world is doing so well, do we everybody think we're doomed? And it seems to be human nature that uh, fear seems to be uh, a factor. But one of the points that he said in his book that the Western society has become so successful or so wealthy, the material needs have been met by spiritual needs. Like nobody, food and clothing and shelter is just there. You know, mm -hmm. no, nobody has to go without anything. The state tells you if you don't have enough, it's not your fault. It's our fault. We'll send you some more money. So when you have a society that's gotten to the point where your material needs, where you've got time on your hands, you're not out, you know, looking under rocks for food or you're not tilling the fields or chopping down trees or doing or working on the assembly plant uh, on the mill, on the line at the plant you get to worry about how you feel and so this is the whole woke movement is we've yeah. gone we've gone from material needs to spiritual needs and so what's what's happened is there's been a comfort factor uh that has been exploited uh there's been a, a but that has been exploited by people who understand the triggers like fear fear is a great trigger right 
I mean, what, you know, you're all getting, you know, climate change, all you pick up your smartphone, there's a fire, well, there's always a fire going somewhere. But if, if you just lift your smartphone every day, people, it's competition for images, you know, Greta says the world is on fire. Well, if you look at your hand phone, whether you get instantaneous communication of every fire in the world, no matter where it is, or every flood, you know, if you weren't thinking this through, uh, you wouldn't, you, you'd think that. Uh, but what is the reckoning is when your smartphone is replaced with your wallet. And what I mean by that is when, when the good times end, you know, when the government uh, printing presses quit running, when we no longer have 1% inflation, we no longer have uh, 1% interest rates, we no longer have really cheap energy. We had this period from 2015 to 2020 when oil prices collapsed, where interest rates were low, inflation was low, the government was pursuing quantitative easing, energy was cheap. What could go wrong? You know, the reason that all that, all that uh, quantitative easing wasn't uh, inflationary was because the cost of the price of energy, the collapse of oil, had kept the price of it. The supply chain was down. The energy cost of everything was way down. That's all over. The, the great, what's waking people up is not our conversations because we tend to be in a bit of a, those of us that worry about these things tend to be in a bit of an echo chamber. What is waking people up is their bank balance their credit cards and their disposable income. Now, wait a second here. There are a war. You know, we never had any wars. You know, I, we, I grew up during the Vietnam War and my parents grew up during the Second World War. And boy, we feared war. That had been a war, shooting war of any consequence. Now you pick up their hand phone and there's infamous of babies being murdered in, in Ukraine. Now, wait a second here. This is unsettling. The interest rate, your mortgage payments are unsettling. You know, you can't, you're not paying on the principal anymore. Your, the cost of food is unsettling and the government's out of money. Like there are a bunch of factors of wake up factors. Tragically, maybe that's what had to happen. Maybe we had to have the great reset, except a different thing is being reset in entirely different, different generation. Maybe we have a Western society that's had it so good for so long that it just needed a giant economic wake up call. And that is underway. And I believe this may reach more people than that. And I'm not knocking. I love what you're doing. I do it all the time. I will say that when I get the chance to talk to people, uh, you know, generally I try not to be alarmist. I've, everything I do is fact-based, but I do think that what is going to cause people to think about the things you and I are talking about today? Well, what's going to get them thinking about it is economics and how bad, how well they're doing. And uh, there's a, I, I believe there's a big wake up call coming. I don't believe we're out of the woods yet. I think 2023 is going to be a tougher year. And I think a whole bunch of people are going to be asking, no, wait a second here. That's not what I was told. That's not what I believed. I've been misled. And I think there's, uh, uh, there's going to be punishment uh, dished out at the ballot box. I, I, I believe that's the case. That's what had to happen. We had, to, we had to, we had to shake the foundations of modern society, and that's underway. I certainly believe that. I think there's a mood change out there. I think there's, uh, and I agree, there's some hell to pay politically and financially, and I still think we're in front of it. But you know, going back to you know the hydrocarbons being so essential to our our modern society, I just wanted to touch on that, and and the sort of naivety that you mentioned, Stu, is that. Uh, I've been in front of people who, who think, you know, because they see it, they see transport vehicles going by, you know, commuter vehicles, transport vehicles, and that's the connection to, to fossil fuels. And they just think, well, you know, 
pretty soon all these are going to be electric and well we don't we don't need hydrocarbons anymore all we don't need it and you know when you look at the the data worldwide transport and commuter fuel is is half of demand right yeah. there's everything yeah. else that you're you're you've you're, you're wearing it your phone is made of it your computer everything Everything in your vehicle is 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 mostly coming from from hydrocarbons and petroleum products. I mean, we can't just drop this stuff. But there are people. Listen to Biden. We're going to stop drilling, and then you know he's begging for for Iran and, and Venezuela to. Jeez, uh, do you think he'd come up to his friends in Canada and ask ask that question? You know, can can we get some more off you? Yeah, yeah. A couple of thoughts on that. I think what uh, first of all, what the when you muck with energy when you decide you're going to change the when i wrote the book i thought it was seven trillion us a year global energy contract uh, con, uh, complex when you decide you're going to change that and you and without science or physics like you're really asking for trouble i think what people this is the sense of false security that people got into on energy particularly in the West when it's always been there, right? You went to the pump, you got gas, you hit the switch, the lights came on. And they don't seem to in, in understand the infrastructure that lies behind it. And one of the greatest undervalued, unrecognized asset is the distribution and supply network of the incumbent. The incredible network of thing of plumbing and valves and trucks and everything between that oil in the subsurface reservoir and the fuel tank on your corner and the gas pump on your corner the infrastructure the the incumbent infrastructure was built over a hundred years and it works you know one of the reasons why in times of energy shortages the people go back to coal because they happen to have a coal-fired generating plant that used to run. It's just mothball. They don't have to start all over. So this, this concept of the energy transition, that we're going to go electric, I think Terry Edom talked about this. Uh, he was a big point in his book, um, The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, was the, the infrastructure investment to replace the incumbent and have power, all the power you need it, where you need it, is just such a fantastically big thing. But, but you have to understand, this is not about the chemical composition of the atmosphere as much as it's about power and votes. I mean, the, you know, the reason you say this stuff is to win elections, not to change the chemical composition of the atmosphere. If you were concerned about the chemical composition of the atmosphere, you'd be full on with Canada supporting LNG exports to, can to China to replace coal. If that's what you cared about was mm. emissions, and that, and you had to realize, but that's not that's not what it's about. This is about this is about winning elections and using the triggers at hand. It goes back to your earlier point about how can a half percent of the population move the needle on hundred percent of the of the atmosphere? They don't want that. That's not what it's about. The fact is is that people have been told fear is at play. They've been told that uh, fossil fuels are going to kill them. They're scared. Uh, they're not thinking it through. They're told if I do this, I can sleep better at night. It's mm -hmm. you know, remember that movie, uh, Brave New World, Soma, you know, that drug that everybody gave to make them feel better. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's tragic, but it's, it's just, it's just not true. So I know the other thing that people don't grasp, I think going back to some of the earlier discussions, why do they do this? I don't think that individuals really grasp scale. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by scale is what is, what does 8 billion people really mean? 
you know, who, who, who are these 8 billion people? And the one, the one thing that I concluded when I, when I, when I did my research into the subject was 8 billion people waking up every day, making the decisions they have to make to get through the day. You know, I need a little food. I got to get the kids off to school. I might, somebody's sick. I need some medicine. I need some transportation. Nobody can, and they don't, they're not tuned in to the latest musings of uh, Greta or Justin Trudeau. How do you manage that? That, that is an incredibly powerful force. And the fact is, you can't manage that force. That's why they go to all these climate summits and everybody agrees to everything. And then, uh, you know, the head, the head of China gets back, looks out the window, sees 1.3 billion people and says, oh, yeah, we'll build some more coal-fired generation, you know? Which is it's happening, important. yes. Yeah, and this is what they do. This is the reality, you know? So it's, um, it is, uh, it is, it's, uh, it's, um, really hard to explain. I called it the parallel universe factor. I really struggled to try to explain how you could have a parallel universe uh, that cannot, that can be absent from the laws of supply and demand and physics and science and create this alternate universe where we don't use fossil fuels. It's an astonishing leap of faith, but one of the only ways you can do it is because the people that are listening aren't paying attention or, or aren't asking the right questions. It, it is a, uh, yeah, sorry, David. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. No, I was going to say, it's interesting you say that. And I know in one of your talks, you talk about that that parallel universe notion and and the fact that, you know, there's a, there, the luxury we have in, in the OECD, you know, sort of community of, you know, you hit the switch, the lights go on using your sort of vernacular. Yeah. We, you know, we go to the, the wall socket and plug in your blow dryer works. If you have a blow dryer, I don't need one, but for those that do, they're lovely. Oh, I certainly um, do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you plug in your electronic vehicles, you go to your fridge and your, you know, your, your food's preserved nice and cold. You know, you turn yeah. on your, your heat in the winter and your air conditioner in the summer, et cetera. You know, you, you talk about that. And I, I, I think one of the facts that you mentioned, which fascinated me was, you know, there's a billion people, I think you said that have no access to electricity on this. Planet. None whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that is astonishing. And, and the thing is what I find, what I find arrogant about uh, about the tall foreheads in Western society is we'll speak for these people, but we won't speak to them. Yeah. And yeah so no, the, the arrogant the arrogance of, of people today to say, well, I'm you know I've got to burr up my ass, and I think you should do this, and not and because I am I am in possession of absolute truth and I know exactly what the world should do. Um, I'm, I'm just not one of those guys. I'm a reporter and, uh, you know, I just write, I just observe. And so we've, uh, we've allowed the, uh, this, this going back to bring the whole thing full circle back to the progress paradox and, and worried about feelings is, is we have to some degree allowed, allowed those with an agenda to seize the agenda. Mm -hmm. and and instead of paying attention to what you know what they're really saying you know like i said people are fat sassy they're doing well everything's okay you know the kids are going to school i got a job i got a pension and um and uh i work more people work for the government which is which is the best job it used to be used to be they felt sorry for you if you worked for the government now it's the best gig in town and um and um and so um so there's a, there's, there's a, a phenomenon going on, but the, I guess I'm a why guy. So what I've been talking about when I talk about the economy and, you know, quantitative easing and low energy prices is we've been in this incredibly prosperous, safe, warm, successful, rewarding 
pleasant environment for most of the since since the Second World War. You know, notwithstanding some tough patches, there was a tough, you know, the oil energy crisis of the 70s and the 80s. But I mean, compared to the Depression and the Second World War, they were really kind of kind. You know, we had social safety networks and so on. Then we had a real great run and through most of the century till recently, till the pandemic and coming out of that when we're broke. And so we're in a, we've got a whole bunch of folks that don't know tough times, don't know what they mean. Uh, run by a bunch of governments said there shall never be tough times if you vote for me and uh, the proverbial shits hit the fan in a big way and so there's a there's a big reckoning underway and I guess in the end the only way to get everybody's attention was to was a whole bunch of misery um, and, and and it's very hard to hide from only the only some of the of a rare small percentage of the population is not going to be materially impacted uh, by the events of the uh, the current economy and environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the sort of uh, parallel uh, scenes going on, and of course, you know, I wonder at what point do do we do we hit the wall? We got to be coming close because we've got uh, you know the G twenty you know plus plus in unison uh, you know g- policy on on uh, production of hydrocarbons and what have you have been. You know, essentially stifled uh, or, or even you know terminally restricted, and we're getting to a place where we're starting to see evidence of uh, scarcity. Hydrocarbons are abundant on this on this on this earth, but we've shamed and blamed the the and we've capital starved the energy sector to a point where <coughs> we're we're we've really got a, quite a disconnect between what's what's available, and uh, and that's why we're seeing these. Um, these high prices in in Asia and in, in in Europe, uh, specifically what we're seeing around uh, in Germany. At what point do do we stop these activists making policy, energy policy that puts us in this spot that we're in right now? When does yeah. this end? It's ending. It's hard to see because uh, it happens very slowly. You know, digging this hole took twenty five years, so getting out of it's going to take a bit of time. Uh, but one of the things that I don't think you might not have noticed, did you notice how they don't hate the oil sands anymore? Just just saying. Actually, you know, I haven't noticed that, but tell me about it. Well, you see, you know, famous people flying to Fort McMurray and, uh, you know, doing photo ops, uh, whipping in and out. You know, do you see uh, giant campaigns opposing this? No, the money's dried up. The funding has died up. The, the, the environmentalists can't raise money for this anymore because... Uh, a disposable income is down, and B, the the renewables have been hopelessly oversold. You know, in Texas, in California, in Britain, in Germany, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, there they were there were promises made that were not kept. It ain't working. You know, it's just not working. And the electric vehicles only work when there's subsidies. I mean, no, there's there's real there's real flaws emerging. Our own government. You know, you have to read carefully uh, to to really understand the messaging, the different messages come out of Ottawa. But when uh, after the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine in March, when uh, Wilkinson, Environment Minister Wilkinson, and uh, their Environment Minister Tilwell and, uh, Wilk- and Energy Minister Wilkinson came back from an I- uh, IEA meeting in Europe, and they, they said, don't worry, we've got an extra 300,000 barrels of oil production, all oil sands, all filthy or life-shortening bitumen. And, uh, and LNG, they're, uh, well, we... You know, there's no case for Atlantic LNG, but there's uh, more projects going ahead. They're looking at the second train on uh, on LNG Canada and wood fibers going ahead. 
mm-hmm. um, it's changing. It's it's little bit by bit. Um, the um, you know Paul, the trouble with modern politics, of course, they don't make any mistakes, right? I mean, nobody says, well, actually, I wouldn't have voted for myself if I'd have known how things were, <laughs> how things poorly were things going to work out. But what I see is this great reset is underway. I mean, look at your, the European Union. They didn't include in their green funding. They didn't include natural gas and uh, nuclear power as a crossover fuel to renewables. They didn't include that uh, as recently as um, as earlier this year. Well, they changed their minds. They did. They uh, amended that, didn't they? they absolutely. Yeah. Again, again, these are little tiny things, you know. And you have to understand the, the infrastructure, the the save the world climate industry is huge. It's got an incredible amount of momentum. There's all kinds of people on the payroll, but the whole point, it all exists because in the end, uh, the angles, the, the environmental groups that are, uh, the, you know, the de facto parrots on the shoulders of the politicians telling them what to do. Their funding's not, is drying up. This is not a, this is not the, the fundraiser that it was, you know, the climate emergency stuff's over the hill. You know, Greta has finally just admitted she's a full-blown socialist. She's not an anti-capitalist. She's just a, a true anti-capitalist. She just hates Western society. I, with Conrad Black, he said that after the collapse of the of communism, all the all the all the communists showed up in the green movement. If that's why I go back and when I read my wrote my book, that the much of the climate change movement is not about the chemical composition of the atmosphere. It's the destruction of the free enterprise system and free trade. As a, as a fear-based excuse, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, again, it, it took a long time and an incredible amount of momentum. There's elected governments in place. But I look at the 180s that governments all, the, all over the world are doing, you know, what they said they were going to do a year ago and what they're doing today, even in Canada. I can see that. And, and uh, you know, Biden is... What, what, what does he stand for? Well, I mean, he's, um, he's got his voter base that he has to persecute American oil. I mean, pretty odd that he's draining the uh, strategic petroleum reserve so that uh, he can keep the price down uh, to prevent his own, uh, own oil industry from picking up more rates in the Permian Basin and solving the problem. I mean, that's politics. But till, these, uh, till the next election, till these terms are done, that's the way it's going to go. But I think, I think the world is the energy world Security of supply is a real issue. Uh, the COP27 conference was a complete and utter failure. COP26 in Glasgow was already the wheels were falling off when India refused to quit using coal. People are reading this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody used to go to these things and agree with everything. And I was saying, no, you got to be kidding. It's, it's, it's changing. It's just, it's just changing. It's undoing itself a lot more quickly, I guess, if, 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 if you look at it from the way I do than it took to put it in place, that's for sure. Right. I think. So if you if you feel that we're, we're getting close to the, this great reset, if you want to call it that, uh, I'd like you to comment on, on where Canada fits in. Because, you know, our current pro- profile looks like this. Uh, <coughs> uh, we're third in the world in proven oil reserves. Uh, we possess a world-class natural gas uh, reserve. You know, how does, how does Canada fit into the world's needs here going forward, in, in your estimation? I've uh, in the past year I've done a number of uh, interviews and programs like this, where I've said that uh, the G7, G20, and NATO will have more impact on uh, our policy than local voters will. And so what we have is uh, when you're a member of G7, G20, and NATO, 
and you are the largest responsible supply of oil and gas in the world being denied to the world so that the current government could stay in office, that dog won't hunt. That, does, that will not stand the test of time. Like, I mean, it's not reversing itself as quickly as we'd like, but you just can't do that. You know, when the Chancellor of Germany comes over looking for LNG and Trudeau sends him home with green hydrogen, ah, oh, come on. Non-existent you know, green hydrogen. Well, no, it never yeah. exists. And, yeah. and when uh, Francois Legault cancels LNG, um, uh, 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 Energy Saguenay, the closest, uh, you know, they got something like uh, 17 TCF gas in the Utica Shale in the lower mainland of, of uh, Quebec. They say you can't have. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, I just think that, that over, uh, we're early stages in this. I know it, it seems like forever, but it's not. Uh, the tanks, it was only 10 months ago that the tanks rolled into Ukraine. Uh, this is all new, it, mm -hmm. uh, it's, but it is undoing. I think Canada has a, uh, has a wonderful opportunity to take the, to reclaim the, sp the spot we deserve as the world's most responsible supplier of, of oil and natural gas. Mm -hmm. And I see, I see it heading that way. Good. I see well, it we heading that way. No, hey, look, I, I certainly appreciate your optimism, and and uh, you you've talked about momentum in the past, uh, David. As a matter of fact, one of the things you you wrote or I saw you present was ten steps to rebuilding uh, confidence, and yeah. you had a list of things, obviously a list of ten to be specific, um, and some of those things have come to fruition, including a change in government in Alberta and a I guess a change in the change of government or at least leadership in Alberta. Um, how do you feel about that now? Because I, I think at least what I saw you present, David, was back in 2019. It sounds like you remain optimistic, despite what just happened I, in, I, this I, summer. And when you, I just it's, it's food and fuel. You know, it's back to the basics. Like I just, <clears throat> I don't know. I just see just see things. I remember I wrote an article for energy in Calgary uh, or business in Calgary early last year. And, or I said, post COVID uh, after we come out of this mess, after all these supply chain disruptions, you know, what do you, what can you, what can you not live without food and fuel? That's mm -hmm. what we do in Alberta. I, you know, we got it, you know, we're in, and we we're leaving a world where this was plentiful. And so, and the forces at play is our 8 billion people waking up every day and, and going hungry. So they're the forces that, that want to buy more stuff from us, that want the stuff that need, not just want, need the things we can produce here that are being hobbled by, by, uh, by domestic politics. The force of that is greater than the forces that are drive are preventing them from getting in the long term. That's that that's the foundation of my view. And and I and I love it. And and I uh, I'm as hopeful as you are. I guess my, you know, my skepticism comes from a federal government determined to you know not fulfill Canadian promise. And you know we had an opportunity to 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 flip that government. You know, and 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 we didn't do it. And I know it was one of the things on your top, you know, your sort of list of 10 is, is change the federal government. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, okay. I, well, let, let me ask you a question since, um, you know, Hey, that's not how this goes. I, I don't know if this is permitted. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Do you actually believe if there was a, fe a, a federal election held tomorrow, do you believe they would return Justin Trudeau to prime minister? You know what? I, I certainly hope not. But I've lived. Uh -oh, in, that's I've, not an answer. Hey, but look, David, I've lived in the four one six. I was in Toronto for 
you know, 23 years and yeah. Toronto area. And, and, and yeah, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in that province to be, to be fair. And sorry to all of our Ontario listeners, but you know, they, they've, they've proven me wrong, you know, too many times. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure how much faith I have in Alberta voters in federal elections. Cause you know, they, they voted in liberals too. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, Kind of with, uh, you know, that's the first time I've heard you, you know, articulate that, Stu. And, and to be honest with you, I've, I've been so disappointed in Canadians over this last seven years. Um, I, I just feel that I'm going to get disappointed again. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm like with uh, Stu on this. And, uh, you know, obviously that's skepticism uh, because of the massive disappointment. I mean, you know, how do you... Right the ship here, David. I mean, we got uh, we got C sixty nine. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's it's basically a, an interprovincial large large uh, size pipeline will never be built under C sixty nine. The the environmental regulations that are now in place because of C sixty nine are so onerous that nobody will spend that money. I, I think uh, an item like Site C that's being built up in. Uh, uh, northeastern BC, a project like that will never get built in Canada again under this kind of regulation. Yeah. Of course, C forty eight, the 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 no tankers no tanker on, bill, on the yeah, yeah. on the North BC coast. All yeah. of this, all of this, designed to throttle um, Canada's largest uh, uh, industry that that provides into the coffers. I, I read uh, some calculations uh, just in a recent article that two thousand twenty three. It's going to be sixty-four billion to to all levels of government coffers that the 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 energy industry is going to uh, uh, provide. Oh no, we're uh, we're uh, we're putting the country back in the chips. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah, you know, you guys are um, you're uh, again. I'm a why guy, and uh, so I look at not uh, I'm a how guy. So I look at the circumstances that got us into this mess, and I look at the circumstances we're in now. Mm-hmm. And they're completely different. Yeah. They, they, the, the, the comfort level that, that has reelected this government, the fear of an election during a pandemic. Oh, my God. When, you know, what, what are the wedge issues? There's, well, I mean, you're, the pandemic was a fantastic wedge issue. Well, gun control, a wedge issue. Climate change, a wedge issue. I mean, these are, these are fear-based human emotion issues. Well, I'm talking about now, I'm talking about keeping my house. Yeah, I'm talking about. I'm seriously the wallet. The wallet yeah. you place in the smartphone. I'm, there are different drivers in the. Uh, you know, there's a there's a um, a um, survey done by Ipsos called "What Worries the World." Uh, it's a monthly deal. I uh, have a look. You get a kick out of it. You might find it really interesting fodder for one of your podcasts because mm-hmm. they go out and say, "What are the big issues?" Anyway, climate has never gotten above sixty number sixteen in the world. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Would you wouldn't would you know that by the news and the governments we no elect? Doubt. No, 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 no. But what is it out in the real world? You know, right now it's you know, if it was the pandemic when it was there, but in the world, by God, it's public safety and crime and political corruption and inflation, like the you know, the stuff that 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 we're so insulated from. That's what that's what's running the world. And and we're we're sliding on all of those things. You know, this this country that uh, you know we're 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 coasting on our laurels. Uh, uh, you know, this country has been going backwards for for most of the, this century to a lesser degree, one degree or another. Certainly since Trudeau came in, pro, pro, capital is flowing out, productivity is out is outflowing. All the reasons you said, I mean, in the end, uh, and I can t- assure you that the Liberal Party of Canada 
has no interest in keeping Justin Trudeau around. I mean, Liberal Party was always a nice balance of uh, a little bit of social policy and a little bit of Bay Street. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Trudeau et al. completely forgot about the Bay Street side. They forgot about the, the, financial, the, the, the financial underpinning. And so as long as he kept winning, they keep him around. Well, I, anyway, I'm just, I just think that I think there's bigger changes afoot. We both and, hope you're right. David. Well, we, I think the yeah, we, you know, I and, 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 and yeah. you know, I think we would all agree, irrespective of our political ilk or, 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 or bent, you know, the liberal machine is the strongest political machine in, in Canada as it relates to, you know, a party and how it operates. So if you're right, and I want to believe you're right, then this will be the last time, you know, we, we see that guy as our as our leader. Oh, I'm not suggesting they won't uh, they won't reinvent themselves because they are good at everything you said. I mean, as a political junkie, which I am, uh, but the idea that when Pierre Polyev says I can beat Trudeau, no, he's not going to get the chance. Oh, yeah, Pierre Polyev will have to beat somebody else, and I don't know who that is, but I I see Mark Carney now as damaged goods. I mean, we're really off the, you know, we're sort of off in a no man's land. But I I I don't know. I just I just think that. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just sense. Well, sense you, you know, your hang your comment about about where people put the climate change, uh, you know, in their 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 list of uh, priorities. It is interesting because there there isn't a uh, legislative lens that the federal liberals uh, do not use uh, in all their policy and all. The, it has a climate change lens to it. Everything. Yeah. Well, it, well, because that's where the votes have been. They, I mean, they they got a bunch of doctrinaire guys in there. They got Gerald Butts and his uh, club, the whole bunch of uh, environmental activist people permeate the higher levels of cabinet. Uh, Trudeau is has no interest in economics. I mean, any idea the federal budget will def, will will balance itself. And I've, you'll forgive me if I'm not interested in monetary policy. You, you just don't. I would at some point or another. That is not going to work anymore. So I'm I'm looking down the road. I'm looking at the Liberal Party is going to go to the center. Um, uh, I think that uh, I think that I think the they got a long way to go to get to the center. The Liberal Party. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty far left, aren't they? But I go back to the '90s when uh, we had um, mm -hmm. we had high spending era of uh, during the '80s, and there was high debt and. In the 90s, uh, we became an IMF basket case and in, come, uh, in came uh, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin and uh, Ralph Klein in Alberta and Mike Harris in Ontario. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we, we tightened the screws and tightened up now. It could be that the voters at that time were a little more uh, sophisticated economically, that they understood that the money didn't grow on trees. Yeah. They might, they might have had more to work with in the voter base. But the, the ability of the government to buy the next election uh, with our own money is greatly reduced, you know, because uh, because the debt this debt's so high, and interest rates are going up, and the interest bills are are as a percentage of total spending are going through the roof, and so the idea that the government can fire up the presses again, and take us from inflation to hyperinflation, uh, there's some forces at play in world capital markets that are are um, global capital markets that are causing a level of uh, financial discipline in, in Ottawa and the capitals of the world that these elected politicians wouldn't have come up with themselves. That's all. I, I just, just don't think, I think we're, we can't do what we did. I don't believe that. I don't believe the events, the pre COVID era uh, where, 
that was really where all these problems were created. I, I don't believe that's repeatable. Mm. Anytime. Look, we, Any, we, we, oh, sorry. Cut you off again, Dave. No, no. Anytime soon. I just, yeah, we, um, again, we, we, we sure hope you're right. Um, maybe straying a little bit from energy for a second, but at least staying in the same playground, which is Alberta. Uh, Rex Murphy wrote last week that um, if, if you, if you piss off, not his exact words, you'd probably say it on a microphone, but it wasn't in the article, but if you upset Justin Trudeau, Jagmeet Singh and the Toronto media, you must be doing something right. And he was speaking obviously of Danielle Smith and, and the sovereignty bill. Uh, are you following that uh, closely? Oh God, yeah. I, Danielle and I go way back. We, uh, I was, uh, we drafted her as leader of the Wild Rose Party 14 years ago, and I worked with her for six years. I was a candidate in the 2012 election, and president of the party, and so yeah, I know Danielle very well, and uh, she's uh, she's a great conservative, and she's a great Albertan. And you, I don't know, remember that movie Network? Howard Beale yelling out the window. Sure. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez, she struck a nerve. I mean, it's uh, if you go back uh, to 2008, we have 14 years of intentional and accidental persecution. And I'm going to just remind you, here's some numbers that nobody ever talks about. There was a time when ACO spot gas was at 10 bucks. And that was as late as recently as 2008. And then I remember, I believe in, the, in June of 2019, it was uh, 51 cents. There's a 90% reduction in the price of natural gas. Klein paid off all the debt, the sustainability checks and the Ralph Ralph box all came from natural gas. That disappeared. Now, this was disguised by the fact that at the same time, the price of oil went up and we had this growth in the oil sands. And then the Fed, but we had this one major dislocation in the economy that fortunately other factors, um, if you weren't directly involved, but it, it, it didn't go unnoticed. It certainly didn't go unnoticed. It changed the, the, the industry. It changed the players. Then came the oil price collapse of 2015. You know, then came the tar sands campaign of 08. So we started the pipeline protest started in 2012. Don't forget energy, uh, the line nine reversal. Remember that was, they were, they were protesting that too. When we tried to nine, nine was the pipeline that, well, that Trudeau ordered built from Sarnia to, to uh, Montreal during the oil shortage. Uh, that everybody forgot about. They reversed it to bring oil in from Montreal to Sarnia. And then they wanted to reverse it every again. And it was already existing pipeline. Everybody went nuts. They had protests and all that stuff. So then there's the Northern Gateway hearings. Uh, this is, um, and so they blocked pipelines. They bought, they bought uh, natural gas projects. Uh, they blocked, they protested the oil sands. Like um, they, they uh, it was a badge of honor to trash the oil sands, the European union thought can we dare have this oil enter the ec i mean this wasn't oil this was you know this was some combination of pcbs and ebola it wasn't just it wasn't just petroleum you know i know that the pr oh, campaign was, was unbelievable oh it was, it was off the charts and i'm looking around you know we've been i mean talk about run hard and put away wet like we say in the oil rigs i mean look at poor albertans i mean just hit over the head hit over the head you know, uh, William Lacey, he was the finance guy. I don't know if you caught that story where I love, he love, he says, I love, I love oil and gas t-shirt into the Senate. They wouldn't let him in. They made him turn his turn sheet t-shirt inside out. The security walked him to the door. He might triggle people, trickle people uh, on, in, in, uh, trigger people, sorry, in, in, in Ottawa. I mean, this is stuff's just nuts. This is, this is right off the charts. And here we are. Mm-hmm. And so they, we're just, just a, 
resilient bunch of folks. And you know why? Because they can't live without fossil fuels. They, yeah. just, they can talk, they can jump up and down, they can yell, they can protest. But at the end of the day, I mean, John Hargan, that's why I wrote the book. The NDP says, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take the, uh, we're going to, in one court, we're going to take uh, the TMS expansion of the Supreme Court. You can't build, expand that pipeline. And then another court challenge when uh, we're, you don't, you dare shut it off. Yeah, the existing, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah if you restrict supply to yeah. the same pipeline, where I mean, how much of this bullshit can you do in a given day before you, you the the absolute irrationality of all of this comes home to roost? And so here we are. This is what I'm saying. I just I don't think people realize how good we got it back in Alberta going into 2023. You know, they don't hate the oil sands anymore. They're going to finish the stinking gas pipeline, which is going to take um, to the LNG. It's going to take uh, almost 10% of the gas outside of the continent. That's going to run prices yeah. up and build some more. It's they going to be a real ne- needle mover, isn't it? Uh, LNG Canada. Yeah. I swear yeah. that the latest thing is the, is the crested woodpecker uh, nest they found near Bridal Falls on the Trans Mountain uh, construction right away. Apparently, they've had to shut down again because of a woodpecker nest. This is what happens when the federal government builds a pipeline. Anyway, I do believe they're going to finish that thing. And so here we're all talking about all this persecution. We got another, we got 1.8 BCF a day of gas leaving on the LNG market. I mean, sure, it's 10 years late, but it's it's underway. Mm -hmm. We got the TMX. Yeah, it was awful, but it's it's underway. And um, and and, uh, there's uh, uh, the premier. The new premier has resuscitated the Hudson's Bay link. Yes. Uh, the, yeah. You know, yeah, the, very the promising. Form. Yeah. Yeah. Very promising. Well, no, we don't have to ask the feds, right? I mean, right. we have to get permission for a transporter pipeline, which can go down the railway right away. So we're talking about, you know, okay, we're not going to ask on, uh, you know, Ontario, BC and Ontario and Quebec have been blocking. Well, let's not ask them. You know, right. there's things going on. And, and so the. Are the, you aware of that, Stu? Uh, but this potential uh, getting, getting uh, oil offshore. Instead of going through BC with with, with all the right, know, right, components yeah. and what have you, yeah. is going uh, you know Saskatchewan into Manitoba onto the uh, the Hudson's Bay, yeah, and um, and 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 accessing the Atlantic from from Hudson's Bay, and you know it's it's a it's a terrific opportunity. Uh, of course, you, you have the Eco Brigade out there, of course, saying, well, you know, uh, you know, well, what about all the ice? Well, you, didn't they tell us for uh, two decades that uh, the Arctic doesn't have any ice anymore? <laughs> Ask the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ask, what ask the Russians and the Finns with their nuclear exactly. icebreakers. Yeah, I mean, this is not, uh, you know, this is not, this is not new. So I'm, I'm, uh, again, I don't believe, I don't believe I'm, uh, I'm excessively optimistic when I look at all these big picture signals mm-hmm. and how materially different they are from even three years ago. Right. The channel's changing. The channel's changing. You know, it's it, the tone is changing. The channel is changing. The politics are changing. Common sense is, is returning and, and people are paying attention. And that is, uh, you know, that that ingredient of everything I just said is big trouble okay. to a bunch of the people that have been driving the public agenda for the mm-hmm. last few years. I want you to do, if, if you don't mind, uh, take just a few minutes uh, Stu, you mentioned the uh, the Sovereignty Act that uh, Danielle Smith has has brought into, and I I believe it uh, it was brought into uh, legislation last night. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what I know is th- people have got their hair up on fire, and of course, I don't think anybody's read it properly and understand. Can you just outline 
the 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 sovereignty act just for the listeners so they can get you know and explain it to us like we wear masks outdoors uh, yeah yeah well I, uh, the the general tone of the legislation is uh to use what legal tools the province may have available to uh, not necessarily fall in line with federal laws and the whole point was uh, the the principle of the act was is what we're going to do is we're going to non-comply uh, with certain acts of uh, federal legislation. Uh, we're going to be obstreperous to the point that Ottawa has to sue us to enforcement. And so the uh, I, 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 I don't know how far it's going to go, really. It, uh, it looks like it had to have some teeth. Uh, they had some stuff in there at the beginning uh, that brought a bunch of power back to the cabinet. I, I don't know who writes that stuff. Uh, but under the light of day, I find that... Uh, the, the react so the, the the act itself is is really meant to tell the rest of the country as I said we're mad as hell we're not going to take it anymore uh, details to follow exact the exact details of whether they're enforceable or unenforceable the I think the problem what we're seeing with the symptoms is it's it's not so much the act itself because I think in the end um, you know when you when you say when, when an elected government says to a municipality, or you know you don't follow that law because we don't like it. I mean, there, that takes just the idea that you you'd like to say you could doesn't mean you're going to do it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of aspects of this. You know, it's one thing. It's it's uh, it's it's. I don't see that a long list of things emerging from this. But the trouble with the act and the, and the purpose of the act is in modern politics. It, there is, as soon as it becomes out of someone of the UCP, there's an automatic rejection mechanism. Certainly. That has nothing to do with the content or the intent of the legislation. That's the problem with modern polarized politics is there's no, there's no middle ground anymore. If you, you know, I could say, um, you know, if I was UCP leader, I'd say, well, I think, you know, Rachel Notley's a great person. She is not. Somebody would say just because I said it, you know. So it's so hard to look at that piece of legislation or that that act that where there's a new sheriff in town, the president of Alberta, we pay our way. We didn't pick this fight. We are the subject of, of, of deliberate persecution by other parts of the country. Bill C-48, come on. There's nothing in the world like that where, uh, where I've got a country has restricted access to its own resources. Uh, to Tidewater, who who came up with that? That's just that's right off the charts on a global basis. Build C sixty nine, the National Energy Program Board. What was wrong with the National Energy Board? They kept approving things. What in the public interest? Well, we can't have that anymore. We're going to throw that out and take it all back to cabinet. We're not going to do anything. It's going to cost us votes in the next election. And then there's the then there's the you know BC blocking that pipe and Quebec saying you know the refusal of Ottawa to enforce the Constitution, which is interprovincial trade. That the Quebec has said you're not passing any pipelines through here. It's not up to you. The Ottawa has all the power in the world to uh, legally to enforce the the transborder uh, shipment of resources through pipelines. But they but to to force it down BC's throat or to force it on Quebec's throat will cost them votes. I mean, these are things that are intentionally designed to persecute Alberta. Mm-hmm. And so the message is no, we're not we're not doing this anymore. Now, the trouble is with the reaction to politically, as soon as the UCP says that it's wrong, doesn't really matter what it is. And the other action is in central Canada, 
the only acceptable, well, the acceptable position in uh, central Canada for Alberta would be, we're really sorry we don't vote liberal. Uh, we promise not to do it again. And if we've caused you any trouble, we're, we're desperately sorry. And please tell us what to do. And we'll resume being one of the colonies we were when you made us a province. That is the acceptable language that's per, that, is, that they want to come out of Alberta. Oh, drop dead. You know, go to hell. Mm -hmm. So I'm in. I'm in. Uh, you know, I just uh, I, I think that that this or some derivative of it. Uh, I, I think politically it's quite clever is the only way that uh, the NDP can can attack the act is to say, well, I'd rather be with uh, Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh than mm -hmm. you. I don't know if that's a vote getter in the long haul. So they well, could we'll have see. a political element to it as well. We'll see. A little yeah. bit of skepticism here, I think, on our part, but uh, we're, we're uh, truly glad to, to hear your perspective on, on, on that. I believe the, uh, the Conservative Party, uh, I had a chance to, uh, over lunch today to chat with a former energy minister, old buddy. And, um, you know, Conservative parties in Alberta haven't really put on that great a show since they replaced Klein. You know, Stelmac came in with the new royalty framework oh, and that didn't work out. And then along came Redford and, mm -hmm. you know, she, that didn't work out. And then along came Jim Prentice and that didn't work out. And then Jane, Jason Kenney came in with great promise and, and, you and know, fumbled combined, it. Absolutely well, combined fumbled with, it. Combined with COVID and the way he managed it. So uh, if you are not a political animal like the three of us um, and you watch conservative uh, parties in Alberta in action, nothing to be that proud of, you know, in the and for over a long time. So, uh, yeah, so I get it. I get the brand. I think the brand's, you know, the brand's damaged. There's been a lot more uh, internal stuff than external stuff. If you look at all the leadership races, you know, Klein and Stelmack and Prentice and all that revolving door there. And Kenny comes in with a strong mandate and he gets tossed out by his own party. I mean, stuff like that, you know, when you say, what are they doing? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm regrettably, and I'm a, I'm a fan, a member, and on how on architect in a way through wild roads helped build the damn thing so that hurts mm -hmm. but that's the way it is so yeah. the whole question is is could uh you know could the current premier can they got their their this bill is through can they you know take the next five months and just give good government and deal with the issues for the next four or five months do, you know do the same thing a few days in a row uh, and uh, do things that are less controversial than this particular one um i think there's still an opportunity and uh, we'll see. I'm. Uh, I, I really don't want the uh, NDP back in again. If that offends some of your listeners, uh, you know how to find. We don't. Us. We don't. We don't know if we have any NDP listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that was fairly safe, wasn't it? <laughs> if if they're listening, it's by mistake. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, interesting. We we uh, you know brought you on to talk really about energy, what, how Canada fits in it, and what have you. And we re, uh, appreciate the the sort of political side of things and uh, and how tuned in. It's all you the are. same in Alberta. We're it, it is absolutely no. Yeah, it is I mean, yeah. It's one and the same. I mean, uh, the thing is, is you know, I wrote my book. I wrote a whole chat, a whole section of the book is carbon politics. Mm -hmm. Oil is political. I mean, it was a weapon of war. That's when the when they wanted when the British Navy when they went into the Middle East, they wanted to replace uh, coal in the in their warships with crude oil. It's been political from the get go. It's been political through OPEC. It's been mm -hmm. wars have been fought over oil and energy supplies. It's incredibly political. It's always been, always will be. You know, in my lifetime, there was uh, there was not enough of it, and it cost too much. And 
And then a few years later, there was too much of it. It didn't cost enough. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's just over a matter of a few decades. Right. Well, this is awesome. Uh, you know, David, um, you, you've you've released a book here in the last couple of years. You, do you want to uh, describe that one again for, for the listeners? Oh, yeah. The title is uh, From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. And yeah, there's a website there. And uh, we're not out of paper yet if you need one or there's a digital version. Okay. But it is, uh, it's Alberta, the history of Alberta through the lens of the oil and gas industry. And it go, I said this earlier in the deal, it's Alberta, where it's, it is a carbon story. You know, when they, when they built the railroad, the fact that if they hadn't known there was coal in Alberta when they built the CPR, you know, they, you know, chopping down all the trees in Saskatchewan to fire the locomotives, forget it. You know, I mean, if they hadn't <laughs> known, if they hadn't known that there was coal at the other, at the western flat, at western end of the prairies, the CPR wouldn't exist. Everybody says that the railroad built Alberta's coal industry. No, Alberta's coal industry built the goddamn railroad. Okay, Amen. so the early explorers saw it hanging out of every riverbank in the province. So that, you know, that's where it started. Then they found gas and, and natural gas and medicine app by accident drilling for water they had a booming industry at the turn of the last century it's incredible and then Leduc and on and on i mean this is why again 4.4 million people live in this underpopulated region of north america it's an island of uh, of prosperity it's all carbon all the time that's what it is mm -hmm. i'm not ashamed of it and albertans and canadians should be proud of it and um and i agree what? yes they should the, be yeah absolutely i came to the greatest contribution alberta can make to the world since we can't get out of the fossil fuel business, the greatest contribution we can make is to be a reliable and responsible producer of fossil fuels for the world, come up with new technologies and new methods. Um, the greatest contribution we can make to the world is cleaner burning coal. Go to China and help them clean, and India and help them clean up those stacks. That's what the world needs. They, no we, doubt. You know, and, and, uh, and in the meantime, what we'd really like to do is pay, as you said earlier, we'd like to pay a boatload of taxes and uh, help provide good social services uh, throughout Alberta and the rest of Canada. It's an insidious plot for health, peace, and good government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got that so, right. Uh, give everybody your your uh, your website URL, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, ca. Perfect. Just put miracledemanis in, uh, in, in Google, uh, and miracledemanis.ca, and uh, you'll find the book, and... Uh, more pictures of me, and uh, you know, if uh, it's great Christmas present, I would I'd be delinquent to remind your listeners that uh, they can find one. Yeah, no, it's it's um, for those of us who've who've um, kind of flipped through it and and spent some time reading your um, your articles and and your pieces, uh, David. I think it would be a wonderful you know, holiday gift or a stocking stuffer for anybody. It's, it's a great read. And I think, you know, particularly now and, and the conversation we've had as it relates to, you know, energy, oil and gas, renewables, uh, and, and most importantly, you know, food and gas and, and, you know, what's, what's in front of us today. Um, get educated, read about well, the, it, understand. Uh, writing a, writing a book about the joys of fossil fuels is I call it the get rich slow program. It's, uh, it's <laughs> that's like farming in alberta yeah it's, uh, uh yeah it is yeah it's uh it's uh yeah it's not exactly a cash machine but uh keeps me out of the bar well awesome well i think what we'll do is we'll uh we, we've gone on an hour with you and that that is a that's a terrific hour we really appreciate well, i uh, hope i uh i hope i was uh i hope i 
said something that uh, somebody might find interesting. I don't think we covered too much ground twice. There's a lot to talk about, and you guys asked uh, all the right questions, and hopefully I gave you some uh, intelligent answers. Oh, well, we really enjoyed it. And it would, would you come back on if we uh, – Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. we had another opportunity. Well, let's uh, let's give it a little time. Let's uh, let's just have a little wager. After we toss Trudeau and reelect Smith and build a new pipeline, well, let's have the uh, I told you so event. Certainly. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, no, well, they, that's that's, that's laying a deal. Down. It's a deal. Well, no, that, yeah, I mean that that just uh, as that either greatly reduced my chances of ever appearing again. Or else reinforced my comeback. One of the two. Hey, hey, hey David, you, we'll be in such a good mood if those things happen. <laughs> the fact that we were, you know, wrong, or hedged our bets, will will be, I'd you know, to be wrong. Absolutely, we'd all like to be. Yeah. All right, guys. Awesome. Thanks, a lot. Thanks so much, David Yeager. Have happy, a great day. happy holidays, David. Cheers. Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, uh, Stu, I really enjoyed uh, having David on. Um, you know, incredibly. Uh, broad width of uh, of knowledge, uh, certainly you know energy based, but very also very very you know politically placed. He's, he placed. He's very tuned in to the uh, the political landscape uh, provincially, federally across Canada. So uh, it was nice that we could touch on that with him. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was a great guest. And and to your point, you know, uh, big brain, you know, he's plugged into a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. You know, th- there is certainly an energy in Alberta focus, but I think our listeners would appreciate the education. I, I think there's probably, uh, at least on my list, there's a number of things we, we, we didn't really get to in the interest of time. And I know Des, you had a number of things you wanted to talk to him about. So good, good reason to bring David back. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did want to talk uh, with him about, and I, I knew he'd be able to uh, shed some light on this, but we do have a refining uh, issue, you know, refining yeah. for distillates and fuels and diesels and uh, all sorts of things that there, there is just, uh, you know, I, I can, I can lay it out like this. Uh, North America hasn't had a meaningful new refinery built in 40 years. And since then, many have been uh, shut down or mothballed or required, you know, I- intense uh, uh, capital uh, capex to to bring it to a new standard, and and it wasn't worth it, so they they shut them down. So we we actually had more refining capacity at a at a time when our population and our uh, our economy was was smaller than we do today. So uh, that's why we've seen you know fuel prices and uh, people. People quite often they, they say, you know, oil went down ten bucks, but but gasoline went up. Crude oil is a a one factor. It is an input uh, cost to to the, to to refining a product, uh, but it's one out of many factors. And uh, anyway, it, it's it's something I wanted to touch on uh, is the refining side, and and like I said, we'll we'll bring them back on. We'll we'll beat down a few of these other uh, uh, subjects that uh, are are worth fleshing out and. Uh, uh, and giving people a little bit of a background and some education on. Yeah, I think it's great. And and there's so much more to talk about, so much more to educate on. Uh, I encourage folks, like I did at the end of, of David's uh, guest appearance, to, you know, find his book, go to his website, you know, educate yourself, because it's, it's some really fascinating facts and figures, and he is fact-driven. So despite the fact that, you know, we all have our opinions and biases, 
when you go on David's site and you see some of the numbers and, and pre- presentations, uh, I think it's, it's very worthwhile and you'll, you'll feel good coming out of that, at least from an education standpoint. Um, I did want to touch on, though, just building on what, what David was talking about, because he quoted the Ipsos sort of worry poll or survey or factor. And Ipsos came out with some interesting numbers yesterday. And, and I read them and I wanted to share them with you, Des, and, and the listeners, because as I reflect, you know, being one of the richest, you know, resource rich countries in the world, you know, obviously G7, uh, most folks in Canada live pretty privileged lives, you know, as David would describe in one of his talks. But I'm going to I'm going to read something to you that Ipsos came out with yesterday, and it, it, it'll make you really kind of I think it'll make you wonder and scratch your head about how, you know, how rich and, and how fortunate we feel in this country right now. So uh, five quick bullet points, Des. 71% of Canadians fear they won't be able to adjust to the rising interest rates. 62%, close to two-thirds of Canadians, are concerned about affording a tank of gas. A little more than half surveyed worry about feeding their family. Canadians surveyed. 52% fear they won't be able to afford gifts this holiday season. And a full 86% of Canadians worry about a pending or possible recession. Hmm. Does that sound like a Canadian survey to you, Des? Boy, that's, uh, it, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Some of those numbers are absolutely overwhelming. And, you know, uh, like I think we, we came to a potential conclusion between the three of us here when we were talking to David is that uh, I don't think the hell to pay has matured yet i think it's still in front of us so if you think after the the screws being turned turned on us to 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 where we are today and those are the facts and figures of how canadians feel i'm not feeling very good for those those folks or any of us because i think it's going to get a touch worse before it gets better yeah yeah i'm not sure where i would fall if they had surveyed me but you know you you think about the the cost of living in this country uh, this year, Des, with with you know, eight percent or mid you know single digit inflation, uh, interest rates that have gone up seven times in a row. Uh, I read that the average Canadian mortgage has gone up fourteen hundred dollars from, you know, the the winter to to now. Um, you know, those are real numbers, and I I don't know about you, but. You know, it's not like I had an extra fourteen hundred bucks kicking around that I could just, you know, throw into my mortgage. So, um, yeah, we're in we're in tough times, man, and we're uh, we're heading into the holiday season. So, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we should change the subject and and get happy. Well, yeah, let's get happy. All right, ma'am. So, Christmas, Hanukkah, right around the cor- right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, trick. Uh, uh, well, this isn't a trick question. My 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 World Cup question was a trick question. This is just a straightforward question. A- as you prepare for the holidays, what's your uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Do you, do you have one? Christmas movie, huh? Christmas movie, holiday movie. So we right. we can be non, uh, you know, we can be non denominational or or what is it, non secular? Well, you know, when I think of the the holiday season and movies and what have you, I I take it back to when. Uh, when we had the young kids, you know, they're adults now, our kids. But uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas with uh, Jim Carrey being the Grinch. I think okay. I think that would probably be the one that, uh, you know, uh, watching watching it so many times with the kids uh, watching it. But it, it just made me laugh as an adult. I think the, the that movie and his performance as the Grinch was, uh, 
I could watch it again this year. All right. Well, what you? What's maybe what's your, should. Uh, what's your movie? Yeah, I, I think again, maybe on the same same vein. Uh, I uh, reflect on, you know, Christmas with the family and the kids, and and I think without a doubt, our favorite family Christmas movie is Elf. Ah, yeah. With uh, with Will Ferrell, uh, we we laugh, you know, probably harder every time we see that, and even though we've probably seen it thirty times since it came out. Um, but that's that's our family favorite. If I had to say, you know, sort of a a couple favorite, it would be The Ref with Dennis Leary. Not often seen as a Christmas movie, but um, for those folks who have never seen The Ref with Dennis Leary, you, you got to see it. I don't, I don't know that one. Great, uh, Kevin Spacey, Dennis Leary. It's fantastic. Huh. Okay. The Ref. The Ref. Yes, sir. Well, look, man, um, great session. Good, good, good chat again. This is our last one, uh, as, as we just said, before the holiday season. So maybe, maybe we should crack open some wine and, uh, and, and toast. Well, we, have, we have two sponsors. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting better at this, and we're starting to get some viral Ooh, uh, recognition nice. uh, with the, the, the podcast. And we've actually got um, uh, you know, a, a sponsor for our bottle of wine. Right on, and we've got a sponsor for our uh, our fantastic tune from our uh, from our youth. Right. Yes. Right. Well. Well. Uh, I, I I'm not sure who our who our paying sponsor is. Um, well, they're both paying. Oh well, God, this this gets yeah. better and better. All right. So well, you know, um, and and I'll let you uh, uh, discuss uh, and present the uh, the the bottle of wine that we're featuring today. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about this, but uh, this is sponsored by uh, Tampex Feminine Hygiene Products. Okay. They're not the best, but they're right up there. <laughs> anyway, Stu, what do we got here today? Well, uh, in front of you, Des, is a, uh, a bottle of uh, Cab Franc from the good folks at Cedar Creek. Uh, um, nice. I know you and I and our respective uh, loved ones enjoy Cedar Creek. Crick, <laughs> the, re- the restaurant. Cedar Crick. Easy for me to say. Yeah. Um, well, they got a ter- terrific property over there. Th- they were actually voted, and I don't know who voted for them, and I, uh, but I did read on their website they were voted Winery of the Year, Cedar Creek. For 2022? 2022. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, again, I, I, you know, it's not like Wine Spectator. It's, uh, I'm sure it's somebody very reputable. But uh-huh. um, anyway, we love going there. We, we enjoy the wine. Uh, we love the restaurant. Um, it is uh, part of the uh, Anthony Von Mandel group. Right. Um, <clears throat> Which I guess the headline of that group would be uh, Mission Hill. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the, um, I guess, the flagship, right? Right. Um, but uh, Anthony keeps gobbling up little independent wineries around the Okanagan, and, and um, you know, we could probably do one on on every show. But this is a good one. Uh, the Cab Franc is is very nice. They have a lot of really nice reds and and whites, and they you know kicked out a rosé or two this year, which was mm-hmm. delicious as everybody was kind of moving into rosé. So. Um, we would encourage people if they have not been to um, been to Cedar Creek, they should they should give it a try. You go to go to the restaurant. Yeah, the restaurant is actually a, a beautiful building. Uh, really, really terrific property they have there. Their wine tasting room is uh, is beautiful as well. It's a, it, just a terrific property. We definitely recommend uh, anybody that's in the in the Kelowna area to to stop by Cedar Creek. Look at that. So this is a, a, a cab franc, you said. Okay. Well, 
Stu, thanks for the nice pour. Very, very, uh, very generous pour. It's Thursday. If it were a Tuesday, I wouldn't have poured you that much, Des, but it's a, it's a Thursday. So, well, and, and here we go. Cheers. cheers. Happy holidays. Yeah. Let's give this a little, uh, little sip of Rooney. Delightful. That'll do the trick. Delightful. Very, very nice. Hey, and I want to uh, throw a, I guess, uh, throw a, a little love out to uh, Jordan Matthews. Des, I think you've met Jordan, friend of our, my, our, my daughter Aaron's, um, who uh, works up at um, Cedar Creek. Right. Uh, helps manage the restaurant up there. Uh, tremendous young lady who uh, knows a lot about food and wine. So um, if you're a friend of the podcast and when you stop in at Cedar Creek, say uh, Stu and Des sent you. Nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Very good recommendation. So, um, Stu, we've picked a, a, a tune here. Uh, a great, great old tune from the late 70s. Okay. Yeah. So what, what, what does this tune, uh, what, what, what does it bring back for yeah, you? Yeah, so um, th- this tune I remember listening to, you know, almost until the needle was worn out on my brother's uh, turntable. Uh, this was one of my favorite bands growing up, again, as influenced by, by my older siblings, as I know you were in some of your musical taste. Uh, but I just love the tune because I think it's super optimistic. Uh, it talks about... Um, you know, just giving more mm-hmm. and enjoying the things that you have. And I think it's, it's perfectly timed for this, uh, this season. Um, yeah. Most of the stuff that this band does, I like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did, have, you, have you ever, ever gone to a Super Tramp concert? Uh, you know what, Des? I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't. You haven't? Uh, nope, okay. nope. And um, even when Roger Hodgson, Hodgson was sort of traveling, doing his own thing, I've, I've missed him. Yeah, so. that's too bad. Um. I didn't go. This this is off the album, uh, even in the quietest moments, uh, which I, I believe is seventy seven. Wow. Um, so we were eleven when this record came out, right? Um, and then, of course, before that, that their their big record uh, that that really had tremendous airplay was uh, Crime of the Century, mm-hmm. nineteen seventy four. Like I remember that that album, and you know we we were just young. To- to- yeah. Totally. And I remember listening to. I know it's not today's tune but um fool's overture on uh even in the quietest moments right exactly um which was an amazing piece of music and and of course it still is it's it's timeless but um uh the the whole album is wonderful and i and i remember feeling somewhat proud even though i don't think the cover art on the album is in canada but with the grand piano out right. on, in the mountains with covered in snow yeah i think that was taken in switzerland but uh, it it could be canada there's yeah. no doubt about it and then the, the so the the first time i saw supertramp was the next album which was 1979 i'm 13 you know old enough to get out to a to a concert with the brothers and uh, that was uh, breakfast in america which right. had another you know four or five uh, hits off. And, and huge commercial success, right? I really? mean, e- everybody in the world was, was I remember playing Logical Song for, you know, uh, on their, you know, cassettes. <laughs> Ghetto Blaster on the, yeah, on, the yeah. on the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so anyway, um, so if you haven't figured this out, this is Give a Little Bit uh, from Super Tramps, even in the quietest moments. But like I said, uh, if, if this doesn't foul up, we do have uh, a commercial sponsor here all right let's hear it man i use skin bracer it smells great but it also cools and tones my skin confidence is very sexy don't you think 
That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that a great commercial? Yes. Anyway, folks, we'll leave you uh, to uh, this great tune that was a big part of our our uh, our youth. Uh, 1977, Give a Little Bit. Share. 